0: Welcome to FinTech Family Hour. This is Zach Anderson Pettit, Content Director at Money 2020 by day, your host by night. That's right folks, we are back. I missed you too, but we're not only back, we're better. New brand who dis, right? It felt like it was time for a little spruce up and here we are. So tell your friends for fintech's sake is now FinTech Family Hour. And along with our little spruce up, we have a wildly exciting first guest out of the gate with the FinTech Family Hour brand, Vinod Kosla. I had the privilege of sitting down with Vinod at Money 2020 in Vegas last year. We hit on global identity, competition with China, and most importantly, the new wave of innovation that Vinod sees on the horizon. This was not only a highlight of my year, this was a highlight of my life. Getting to sit down with Vinod was an absolute pleasure, I learned so much. He is a fascinating individual and I really hope you enjoy this conversation. But wait, there's more. We have a new sponsor for the show, not just any sponsor, our exclusive sponsor for the rest of 2023, FS Vector. FS Vector provides advisory, advocacy, and training services to the ever-expanding and changing world of financial services. So what does that actually mean? It sounds like a consulting group, right? Well, I have to say, I generally don't love consultants. Well, I love any consultant listening to this, So let me take you back. I met John Beccia, the CEO of FS Vector, back when I was running Fountain City FinTech and MBKC. We were bringing in early stage companies to partner with the bank. If you've ever done bank partnerships in the FinTech space, especially in the sponsor bank realm, you know it's just a bit complicated. And those days were definitely the figuring it out days. The standard operating procedure hadn't been developed Actually, I really don't know if it still exists, but there were just so many questions that needed answering from who the program manager is. I mean, number of people that don't even know what a program manager is to figuring out who will be responsible for that and on and on and on, not just in the sponsor banking realm, but every aspect of financial services, working with banks and banks, working with technology companies. Navigating all of that has always been hard for me. It's been hard for everybody. I generally don't know where to start. And that's when I start asking questions. I was new to banking when I was doing this thing at MBKC. And that's when I met John at FS Vector. As I said, he flew to Kansas City, spent the day in the company of all five of the companies, six of the companies that we had inside of the accelerator at that point. And the thing that I kept hearing from founders over and over and over again was how much time the conversation saved them. Time and money, I really heard a lot about, but we didn't really understand what it meant until we got to the end of the program and we noticed the amount of seeing around corners in highly regulated industries that we were doing. And if you don't do that, seeing around corners and asking what's going to happen and skating to where the puck's gonna be, you're gonna have some issues. So ever since that experience, I've been recommending FS Vector to founder friends, banker friends, friend friends, and here we are welcoming them as an exclusive sponsor. What a time to be alive. But as I've said before, I only allow sponsors on the show that I believe in. Some sponsors that I think are improving the state of the world of financial services, and that is FS Vector, and that is why we're here. You can learn more about FS Vector at fsvector.com. Reach out for a consultation or just have a conversation. It can even be you you know what you rec- what they recommend for dinner in DC. They're a fountain of knowledge. Reach out, spend some time, you won't regret it. And without further ado, Enjoy my conversation with Vinod Khoslav. So, last time you were here was 2015. One, where you been? Why haven't you been here? We missed you. And two, fill us in on what's happened since 2015. One of the few people in the world capable of doing that, I think. Well, first you didn't invite me since then. (laughs) Okay, fair, fair. Uh, We'll, Well, we're fixing that. We're fixing that. We got you here now.
1: But, look. 2010 to 2015 was the first wave of innovation we saw. You know, we invested in Square in 2010, then Stripe, then Affirm, then Fundbox, a whole bunch. And innovation happens in wave, and that was the first wave of taking old finance and making it what's called FinTech today. The word wasn't much in use. What was, what were they calling it then? Like when you
0: invested in Square, was it just a- uh, Just a- uh, Buying stuff, tech?
1: Yeah, it was a startup that had this ha- small hardware dongle that plugged into your iPhone and it didn't look consequential. <laughs> of course, it was an attempt at doing finance using tech for small business. So the larger vision was much larger than the hardware dongle seemed to be. Most of you still you, who know Square probably remember that hardware dongle. But there was a wave of innovation and we were very lucky to invest in Square and Stripe in Affirm and Upstart and uh, Funbox and others. I think we are ready for the next wave of innovation. And innovation happens when technologies come together to enable a new set of services. So the cyber world has been interesting in finance. The crypto and blockchain are enabling technologies. And I think people will be surprised how enabling AI will be in this. And as these things come together, I think we'll see, see another large wave of innovation the next five years. You know my my general view is uh, what the internet was for media, for commerce, for social and communications, and uh, we will see that in fintech, for banking, for law, and uh, we haven't talked a lot about software contracts uh, and accountancy in general, and that kind of massive wave. Is possible if we do some things right.
0: So what are those things? So if there's it sounds like you're saying we could do a lot more, but we're not because there's blockers sitting between us
1: and yes. this this future potential of this magical world. Yes, there's massive blockers what are right now. You know, so I divide crypto into two pieces. Crypto for the crypto world and crypto for the real world. Okay. And we can talk about these. So far, it's been about tokens and speculation. Right? And that's for the crypto world. And that's been crypto for the crypto world. Even there, uh, we've tended to stay on the totally legal, compliant, regulatory compliance side. Uh, are you saying that there are cryptocurrencies that are potentially outside of compliance? Oh, <laughs> let's not go there. Oh, ooh, okay. Well, but 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 I think it's worth pointing out that the recent fine on Kim Kardashian was a really healthy thing to happen. This is what you all thought we were going to come to, right? I, we all we all
0: knew we were getting to Kim Kardashian eventually.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, for the essentially abuses of finance. Uh, And I know you have somebody from the CFPB speaking. That's really important to be compliant with them, with the FTC, with the SEC. If we do that, suddenly much larger businesses become possible. And I think that's what we need to do. But the first thing is, say, abuses like promoting tokens, or pump and dump streams uh, schemes where certain VCs are just pumping up tokens and then selling them, not holding them. I don't mind if somebody invests in holes, but s- selling them soon after is a pump and dump scheme. If those abuses are stopped, I think we will be in a world where real long-term businesses can be built and will be built. And I think that's what it
0: takes. And so I guess the you take a step deeper into it and I guess you kind of have this fiat, like regulate it better or regulate it stronger. But what what does that mean, I guess, as you get into the practice of it? Is it more so just that we need a lot of what has existed in the centralized world to be applied decentralized,
1: in a decentralized world in terms of KYC, all these pieces? So let's be clear, without KYC, without identities, we can't have regulatory compliance. I agree with you there. Uh, You wanna know when somebody is a terrorist if you're in India. Yeah. The Indian government worries a lot about terrorism. You worry about drug smuggling or sex trafficking or pick your favorite illegal activity. Pick your favorite. (laughs) Uh, And there's one in every part of the world. As long as you can follow them through KYC, AML, those kinds of things, I think much more will be possible with crypto. And I think that's why first we stop and and penalize the abusive uses of crypto. And, and there are sort of valid uses. If you're in Venezuela, I think it's a valid use to have Bitcoin as a store of yeah. value for you. Or sure. if you're frankly in China, it's yeah. a good store of value. Going through so hyperinflation. Are, yeah, Money, international money transfers, those have been good uses for crypto. But it gets mixed in with a lot of illegal uses that we've tended to avoid. So we've ended up in the first generation of crypto doing companies like Anchorage, you know, where institutions can hold crypto assets in a compliant way. Um, we are investors in Lead Bank. We can come back to talk about it. But once we get rid of this, we can start to build real businesses. Yeah. So actually,
0: let's talk about Anchorage and let's talk about Lead Bank at the same time because you and I were talking backstage, and one of the things you were saying is that there's not really a good I can't remember how you phrased it, but you said something along the lines of like, there's not a good digital first bank or not a tech first bank, something along those lines. And I was actually thinking about Anchorage, right? Because as of now they have a charter and thinking about a lead who you've also invested in. When you think about those, granted Anchorage is truly a the crypto first bank. How do you think about the delineation there? I, I guess I'm just thinking about these, the world of banks kind of meeting in the middle and coming together, like what's the thesis
1: for you? So there's multiple types, right? Yeah. Anchorage was set up to be compliant enough so institutions could hold these assets. Sure. And, and that would enable better activity in the exchanges. So, exchanges and what Anchorage was doing in terms of managing crypto assets for institutions was very complementary. Um, there's another piece once you go into the mainstream world. You know, at Square, we discovered there really wasn't a white label bank you could use that was designed for m- the mobile world, the internet world, the, uh, essentially the new world. And what Jackie Reese, who was at Square and uh, worked with me there, started a new bank called Lead Bank with a full banking charter. And she'll be here and speaking, so go listen to her. And it needs to be digital first. With digitally oriented services and settlements and all the, the bank, the core banking system has to be very, very responsive, which is what the internet world is about. At the same time, you want to be banking compliant, which means generally identity in some form. Yep. And we are also investors in WorldCoin, proof of personhood, but we also want to be compatible with the crypto world and the blockchain world. And the hope is that somebody like a lead bank can be in the core banking world, an American bank Mm -hmm. that also serves the needs of the crypto community. For example, you can preserve the key requirements of the blockchain world, which is things like distributed trust, anonymity, and other things and still do KYC-ML when a regulator wants to track a transaction. That doesn't mean everybody in the world needs to know who you were. So through Xenon Knowledge Proof and things like that. I do think identity is a major area, very interesting area, where you bridge anonymity and regulatory compliance and law enforcement compliance. Let's talk a little bit more about that because I think there's
0: what you just said to me what i heard is that there's a rational way of thinking about web3 and a rational way of thinking about crypto where it doesn't have to be all the way decentralized or all the way cent- it's there's a there's a middle ground that we can achieve and i think identity as you said is kind of one of the key pieces of that so let's let's go into the worldcoin thing a little bit one what is worldcoin two talk a little bit more about kind of the identity problem it solves and also sam let's talk about sam because sam being the one sam altman is the one that is starting it and i mean uh, similar to you he could just retire any day and he's taking gigantic swings so
1: why Uh, sam is taking gigantic swings and i love working with sam because he has the freedom to do whatever he wants instead of going sailing he's choosing to (laughs) work on really important problems (laughs) We have competing startups in Fusion. I have one, Sam has a different one. I'm in in Commonwealth Fusion, he's in Helion. We are doing, he's doing OpenAI. We are one of the first venture investors in Uh, OpenAI. And we are doing WorldCoin together. WorldCoin is proof of personhood, and that ties to identity. You want indelible proof of personhood, no matter where a person, where a person is in the world and be able to move around, so it's physically encoding while preserving privacy. All the original data gets sort of sequestered and thrown away. Um, so, so is the is the delineation
0: the international nature? Is the delineation the privacy nature, or is it kind of all of these? I guess what I'm trying to understand is we have a KYC framework that kind of moves from country to country, not really, or an identity framework. We have passports. How does, is this a pass, is this a digital tokenized passport? Obviously
1: not in terms of entering, but in terms of payment and whatnot. Well, so it depends on the application. Some are national applications and they have to be compliant with whatever the national laws are. Some are international, you know, people aren't constrained to one country Mm -hmm. or transactions in one country. So. It depends on the application. You know, gaming's an international world. Mm-hmm. Banking is typically national. Mm-hmm. So it really depends. I think you should look at WorldCoin as a platform on which many applications can be built. So just a base layer of infrastructure, providing the level of identity. So this is the fascinating providing thing. Providing proof of personhood. You are you are Zach and you'll always be Zach. And you can always be identified. Can I get
0: that clip? Warren, could you get that clip of a note saying that to me later? Because that's that's going to be... I'm, I think I'm going to have that play at my funeral. So there's a delineation between the identity and that proof of personhood. But that proof of personhood, because of what fintech is becoming, that's why this is kind of... a con- Not confusing, but broad conversation because it can be applied to a purchase, a financial KYC process, but it could also be applied to crossing a border. It could be applied to all these things, right?
1: Yes. And it's up to every country to regulate how it uses platforms, whether it's this one or something else. You do need a digital identity for everybody. It needs to have both anonymous and recognizable KYC ML type features. Mm-hmm. But not all features should be available to everybody in the world to see what you're doing. Right? That's the anonymity phase piece. And at the end of the day, so
0: that's a decentralized system working with working with and around a lot of centralized systems. Is is there a world that we can extrapolate out in 20 years where the entire world is functioning on proof of personhood, be it, be
1: it on world coin, oh, I, I, with this nation you know, states that we have? I do think it should work on proof of personhood. You know, what should happen doesn't always happen. Sure. And each country may choose to do it differently. Yeah. You know, obviously, China will not do... World coin. This is what I was wondering.
0: This is kind of what I was trying to dip our toe into a little bit is if the whole world chooses to go with proof of personhood and chooses WorldCoin and then China says,
1: no, that's yeah, a good so portion there, of society. You know, let, let me mention something else. Most of you are probably not heard of. You've probably heard of the Aadhaar system in India a digital identity run by the government for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, The person who did this, Nandan Nilkani, has kicked off another effort to make a digital public infrastructure available to every country in the world with fully open source infrastructure. So if a small country wants this infrastructure, what do they do? They call KPMG or somebody like that that ties them into a vendor. Mm-hmm. So the goal here is to build an open infrastructure, whether you're talking about identity, whether you're talking about payments, whether you're talking about health records or your, ge- ge- or your personal genome. All this can be customized out of this open source effort and these services are available from a nonprofit entity building this digital public infrastructure. And it's very important for FinTech, whether it's the crypto side or the blockchain side or traditional FinTech to have that. And most of these countries, most countries around the world don't have the internal capability to build this well. And if they do, to not get locked into specific vendors and truly be open source. So I'm very, very excited about this effort. Uh, It seems like that open source... In fact, next year, invite them to talk about the infrastructure for finance globally. Sounds like we have a third for this
0: conversation next year, then. We'll just put put them right there. We'll do that. Um, So it seems like that the open source piece of it... I kind of want to rewind a little bit to the... China side of this conversation, because a lot of what you're talking about, we're talking about crypto for the main mainstream, right? Talking about crypto for B2B, talking about how web three and all of this is kind of coming to a place where it can be used by those of us that aren't in our basement with Cheetos on our fingers or what you know, just like it's getting to the place where bankers and folks of this ilk are actually using it. Do you, do you think that there's a way that that's actually going to be able to improve the relation between those two, between the U.S. and China or be able to like, do you think there's any way that this, this invention of this kind of new financial system might actually create more peace?
1: Um, I don't think so. The opposite? You know, no, okay. I think it's a neutral technology. It'll have a lot of capability, but what China does will be in China's interest. What we do will be in our interest. Mm-hmm. I've said publicly, we will, over the next 20 years, be in a techno-economic race or war with China. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing for the world because there's multiple parties competing with new technologies. And it doesn't matter whether it's FinTech or blockchain or crypto uh, or fusion, re- uh, you know, or rocketry. Um, I think a technology race is good for the planet. But people's self-interest will determine how they use what the capability that's provided. I think the platforms will open up a lot more possibility for entrepreneurs to innovate. And that's what's interesting to me.
0: So let's go back to that. So in one of the things that I want to, and we're getting closer to time. So I really want to hit on one thing that I think you are the expert in, which is innovating in hard times and thinking about building companies in times that maybe don't seem
1: like the right time to build a company? You know, so my (laughs) message to all of you entrepreneurs especially is the times may be hard, but that's a good thing. Maybe funding is a little harder to get, but if you get it, your competitors aren't going to be funded just as easily, right? and not with as much money. So I think capital you raise will be used much more efficiently than it would have been two years, three years ago, where you're compar- every comparative, every company had five competitors, all overfunded, all trying to kill up, kill each other. I used to call it startup fratricide. <laughs> uh, startups trying to kill each other. Um, I do think the opportunity exists. The other perspective I'll give you is if you're starting today with a new startup, the current environment won't be the environment in 2030. And that's only seven, eight years away. And what you care about is one surviving till 2030 But it gives you much more time to take the long view and build more substantial companies. So I actually think the hardship will result in people taking a longer view and building more substantial companies. You know, take one of my favorite examples of a token company is Helium. I know how many people know Helium, but they've used a token to build a real utility network. And next they're trying to build a five G operator. If you can do that with tokens, that's a really great use of tokens. Talk about the hardware piece a little bit
0: more though, because I think that's something that probably the the average person is not thinking about or understanding.
1: So, ATT owns all the nodes that in their network. It's very centralized. Right. And those are are those towers, basically, or I
0: guess a node in in, the tower is different.
1: In the first network Helium's built, which is a low bandwidth network, these are access points in people's home that also have a network called the LoRa network. I won't get into the detail. Yeah, we don't have to go down that. Right? (laughs) Yeah. But that hardware piece lets me at home, and there's uh, millions of people who've ordered these, sitting at home with access points that enable a citywide network, in most cities in the U.S. and many international cities, so a network can be built with very low capex because of the token tokenized nature of contributions. Yeah, and because of that, uh, they can offer much lower price, more accessible service. If you have an environmental or a weather sensor at home, you know if it's pennies a month, you'll put it on the network and it'll be live. If it's dollars a month, most sensors won't ever make it into the network. But it's exciting if you could do the same thing with 5G. Yeah. It's an interesting... <laughs> so tokens have real uses.
0: Yeah. Tokens That's what I was trying to drive so towards. Yes, exactly.
1: Use you cases. know, what Helium has done is created a network effect. And many media companies also created network effects and lock people in. Hype Mapper is another example of a company building a network effect with an open source approach. No single entity controlling the maps they're trying to build to compete with the various Google Apple maps. Yeah. Right? So there are really good uses for the blockchain. But we gotta say what are those and where they do they affect large functions of everyday life. And that's in banking. It's lending it's borrowing, it's mortgages, all these things can be addressed. All of insurance, all these can be addressed with blockchains very, very effectively by reducing the labor content, making them smoother and faster, and decentralizing them so you don't need a central authority. Yeah, yeah for payment rails, why should you have to go through centralized institutions?
0: Well, the MasterCard employees in the crowd would have a very specific answer for you,
1: but at the end of the day,
0: I don't have a philosophical one.
1: So I'm excited about all the possibilities and what all these entrepreneurs here are doing. So
0: It seems like the blockchain and this idea of this Web3 thing is it's expanding so far beyond fintech that it's getting to a point where... I mean, we just spent, I think, like three minutes talking about telecommunications. Right. I mean, it's it's fascinating the way that it's expanding. And like, it seems like the next, ver- this is what you need to write is the fintech is eating. So let soul. me
1: give you a very specific example. Sure. You put your money in a Bank of America and their, a big part of their profits is mortgage lending. Now, why shouldn't you put money on the blockchain into mortgage formation if the other pieces can be handled effectively? You wouldn't have the Wells Fargo scandal we had that killed, you know, set the world back in 2008. And so could mortgage formation be done differently? Capital formation be done differently? Yes, if you prevent abuses. And frankly, it's on the regulators to clarify the rules. The regulators have done a poor job of saying, here's the set of rules. And I think people are working on it, and hopefully you'll hear something more about that. But clear rules on what you can't can do from a consumer protection point of view, from a banking SEC trading point of view, uh, the sooner it becomes clear, the sooner all these things become real. Yeah. So
0: this sounds like kind of and the thing I want to close on is what drives you. And it sounds like what drives you is this. What drives you is like knocking down these barriers and making this innovation
1: happen. But what what is it that gets you out of bed every day when you could be skiing? Uh, I could be skiing. Uh, (laughs) Look, it's really fun to work on hard problems. And it's even more fun when those hard problems and, and cool technologies have large social impact. Yeah. So we work on very hard problems, whether it's fusion or we're working on a Mark 5 aircraft so we can do London to New York in 90 minutes and working on mortgages and insurance and all these things that have intermediaries that extract taxes of one sort of another and control things. That's what's exciting. And no matter whether you look in FinTech Traditional fintech, where there's lots of, of opportunities. Avon is the new heloc credit card. We've uh, we've done very exciting to, you know, deep medicine. Yeah. Now I feel out of all
0: those between nuclear fusion and everything else, I feel like being the one asking you the fintech questions is a little less interesting. But next time we're going to talk a little bit more about nuclear fusion. Well, let
1: me let me throw a challenge out. Something in fintech that bothered me a lot. You look at the Goldman's and JP Morgan's and the Morgan Stanley's. The fintech industry is in the business of serving other businesses. Mm -hmm. Whether you're a manufacturing business in Ohio or an agriculture business in Iowa. Fintech is the business of serving, servicing all these but they make more profit than any of these. Probably someplace north of 15 percent of all crop corporate profits come from uh, fintech, FinTech. That seems like a shame. If they're in the business of servicing other industries, they shouldn't be making more profit than all those businesses. And that's because they've centralized and monopolized these businesses. So the challenge to all of you entrepreneurs is cut the profits of the FinTech industry from more than 15% of all corporate profits to less than 5% and own 4% or 80% of that uh, piece. That's the challenge. Challenge, I think,
0: accepted. And a lot of people are gonna go do some math and open up some spreadsheets. Yeah,
1: and that's in DeFi, that's in Web3, It's in media of all sorts, lots of opportunities. It's time to redistribute.
0: Thank you, Vinod. All right, we're out of time. Thank you, everybody. Everybody, Thank you to Vinod Kosler. Round of applause for the man. Isn't he great? Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to go check out FSVector at FSVector.com. And I'll be telling you more about them in weeks to come. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and all the other things I'm supposed to remind you to do in your favorite podcast app as the highly responsible podcast host that I am. And if you want our weekly emails, go to fintechfamilyhour.com and subscribe there. Until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, and I love you all.